God in heaven, thank you for loving us so much. Uh, thank you for the gift of the Sabbath to rest in Christ and to rest our bodies, to kind of turn off the things that distract us and pull us throughout the course of the week and just focus on what matters most. So as we reflect upon a very important topic this evening, I just pray that you would bless us with an extra special measure of your presence and with your peace. And God, I pray that we would hear from you tonight, that you would speak into those wounds and that pain that each of us may be feeling and help us to learn how to process that and how to even find purpose in the painful experiences that have been brought across our path. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if the pain and the heartbreak and the disappointment of 2020 have led you to have negative beliefs about yourself, about life, or about God, or even if you wonder whether it's even worth trying to hope anymore, maybe 2020 used up all of your goodwill and you just wonder, can I even hope anymore? Can that, that sense of joyful expectancy even be found in my experience anymore? I hope that this evening's study will be helpful uh, and speak hope into those particular experiences. We're told actually in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the fact that the Bible refers to him as the God of hope, not just a God who happens to possess hope. And if you ask him, he may give you $3 worth of hope for your $3 need. Like It doesn't refer to God that way. It refers to God as the God of hope right? He, he has every amount of hope that you will ever need and more so. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. In fact, it's a really good study to go through in the New Testament where it refers to him as the God of, the God of hope, the God of peace, uh, the God of love, the God of joy. Um, it's really, really helpful to realize that God, he's the God of whatever you need him to be and the needs that you have in your day-to-day -day experience. I'm so thankful for that. So if 2020 robbed you of hope, the good news is there's a God of hope. Uh, who understood what we would encounter this last year and is still able to give us hope for this coming year. So may he fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just have enough hope to get by, but to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told in Romans 5.5 5, that hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit can help to bring God's love into our lives in even greater measure. So the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter for a reason, right? He's given that name for a reason. And so I would encourage us this evening to let the Holy Spirit pour God's healing love into our lives and to allow that hope to grow in our hearts, right? That no matter what came against us in this last year, no matter how many L's we took over the last 365 days, allow the Holy Spirit to rekindle and awaken hope in your heart, right? Keep trusting that God is able to pick you back up and to strengthen you. We're told in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 that those who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And I'm so thankful for this text because it, it speaks into a space that many of us have to live in. Maybe the entire year of 2020 was filled with waiting on something that never came. Maybe for some of us, we were hoping for healing, hoping to get out of debt, right? Hoping to knock out our classes early, hoping to get married, hoping to have kids, hoping to, who knows what, get, find healing in, in some other circumstance. But we're told that we'll, those people who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, which implies that uh, earlier in that, in that chapter talks about the fact that even the youth will grow weary and faint, right? And the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord will be able to renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and then they will run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And so I'm thankful for the fact that if we keep trusting in Jesus, he does see us through these difficult and challenging seasons and brings us through to something better on the other side. Uh, Jesus warned his disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 33 that in this world, they were going to have tribulations. And I'm so thankful for this. Jesus wasn't preaching a prosperity gospel. They just believe in me and everything is going to be easy. He never said that. He says, you're going to have tribulations in this world. But then he told them to be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Guys, if Jesus can overcome the world, he can overcome whatever you're dealing with today. 
whatever didn't go the way that you thought that it would or that you wish that it would, whatever's going on in your experience right now, whatever losses and challenges and difficulties you went through in 2020, he can handle that. He can overcome any and all of it. And he actually gave the disciples a very specific warning a few verses earlier than verse 33 of John 16 about the heartbreak and disappointment that was going to come their way after his betrayal and death. And he used a very interesting analogy here regarding its purpose and eventual end. And this is what I want to really, really flesh out for us this evening, this idea, again, of finding purpose in pain. Jesus equates the challenges and the difficulties they're going to go through with an experience that women can relate to um, in the idea of childbirth. I am not going to be capable of having a child. I have a puppy, and it's really hard. So I'm assuming that having kids is way harder than that. Um, But it's a situation that Jesus speaks into this circumstance with language that really speaks to our emotions, and I also think gives us a lot of really helpful understanding on how to kind of measure out what we're going through in the difficulties right now. He tells the disciples, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament and will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Okay, so you're going to go through a tremendous time of difficulty, but at the end of that, you're going to be filled with joy. And then he tells you, and this is kind of what it's going to be like. He says, a woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And I love the language he's using here because he's making it clear that, you know, what she's going through in the midst of the childbirthing process is excruciating. It's so difficult. But once that child is placed into her hands, she doesn't even remember what it costs to get to that point. And Jesus is speaking into the pain the disciples are about to go through. They're not going to give birth. It's a bunch of dudes. But they are going to go through something that's very difficult and challenging. And that there's some some illustration here to help us get through this. And based upon what Jesus is saying here, he, he continues in verse 22. He says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And then he tells them that your joy no one will take from you. And I think a lesson that we can take from this, and the example that Jesus gives here, is that pain, when it's surrendered to God, is directional in nature, just like the pains that come in birth. That it's bringing us somewhere, it's leading us to something. Though it's painful and difficulty, the challenges and and struggles that we go through in our day-to-day life, and particularly in seasons like that we've had to go through in the last year, right? We've had a pandemic, we've had, you know, uh, race riots, we've had injustice brought to the fore and brought under an even greater, you know, visibility. We've had an election cycle that's absolutely savage and brutal that's over or it's not over. Who even knows? Like just all of this stuff, right? Economic hardship, sickness, trials, difficulties. It's been really hard on a lot of people. And as we're going through all this, I think one of the things that Jesus wants us to understand is the things that you've had to go through that hurt that were painful, were directional in nature. It's not the end, right? This painful experience is leading to something, and good comes on the other end of it. That's what Jesus is alluding to here. And I believe on the other end of our painful experiences, God can help us to forget all the excruciating details of how hard it was, and to be able to appreciate what was allowed to take place for us to receive what we needed to receive and to become who we needed to become. Right? These challenging circumstances we go through in life can be used to refine us, to grow us, to develop us. And as we go through those circumstances, many times it's those experiences that we didn't like that made us into people who were better off on the other end of it. Right? We're, we're, we're smarter people, we're healthier people. It brought to the fore unresolved internal conflict that we had to face and work through. And on the other end of that, we found ourselves being healthier, more whole people. Right? And so there's a purpose in the pain that's allowed to come our way. That's the lesson that Jesus is wanting us to see in John chapter 16 and other places. So I believe that God can redeem our pain for good. And this is what I believe Romans 8, 28 is alluding to, this idea that um, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That he's able to take these things and use them in ways that God chooses bad things to happen in our lives. He doesn't just sit in his room and think, you know, 
here's a bad thing I could bring into so-and-so's life. That's not what's happening here. But if he's going to allow for something to take place, he already foresees the purposes that can be achieved through this difficult process and what will be achieved on the other end. Right. And I think that sometimes in these difficult circumstances, it takes difficult circumstances to realize that he's what we've really been looking for in those dark moments. Right. We got so caught up in our phones and in our stuff and in the things of life that when we lose a lot of the things around us, we remember what matters most, the people closest to us. There's a God in heaven who loves and cares for me. At least I have my health. Right? I'm not so worried about whether I'm having a good hair day or a bad hair day. Or that, you know, my boss frustrates me. My boss doesn't, by the way. But, you know, anyway, whatever the circumstances may be, that you go through those circumstances and you just, when we lose our jobs, we start to get a different perspective, right, on the things that bother us in our day-to-day -day life. Or when we lose our health, we realize, man, like, even though I was frustrated by the fact that I, you know, I couldn't run as fast as I used to, at least I could run, right? Challenges can kind of help us to re-prioritize uh, our lives, right? And it can really help us to realize what's the most important. We're told in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. How many people can testify to that? Having to wait on God is not easy. But then it says, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. It's a gift that keeps on giving. We'll talk about that tomorrow, the gift that keeps on giving. But I believe that God is asking us to surrender that pain and that fear to hope anymore and to trust that what's on the other side of this can actually bring us new life. And God also redeems our pain by using what we learn and the comfort that we find in him to help others. And I think this is so huge. I did a study on this a while back that I, I want to keep studying. It's so rich. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There's some beautiful, beautiful stuff in here that Paul's breaking down that was just such a blessing to me uh, as I was studying through this a few months ago in the midst of the, you know, the, the lockdown and just trying to make sense of things. Um, God really, really helped me with this. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and then it says the God of all comfort. Right? He was called the God of hope in Romans chapter 15. Now he's called the God of all comfort, which again means that he's literally going to be the God of whatever you need him to be the God of. Right? If you need comfort, he's the God of comfort. You need peace, he's the God of peace. You need love, he's the God of love. He's the very source of the things that you're needing, whatever those needs may be. But it says the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. And I appreciate that, that when I'm going through difficulty and hardship, that there's a God of comfort who's willing to comfort me in the midst of that tribulation. But then it says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That word's used a lot in this series of texts. But the basic point that he's saying is the very God of comfort is going to comfort you in your difficulties. And when he comforts you in your difficulties, he doesn't just do it to get you through this. He's also going to allow the story of his faithfulness in the midst of your difficulty to comfort somebody else who goes through the same circumstances later. So you lost a job and God comforted you and helped you through that circumstance of losing a job so that when you meet somebody who loses a job later, you can speak life into their experience to the testimony of how the God of comfort comforted you. You can be the means of comforting someone else by taking the comfort God gave you and sharing it with them, which is really awesome when you think about it, because the comfort that God gives us isn't just for us, right? God gives you comfort, and because he's a God of comfort, he doesn't just give you enough for your need. He gives you even more than what you will need, and that overflow, those lessons and those blessings that you receive, even in your tribulations, now overflows in the lives of people around you who need to hear the hope that you just found who need the comfort that you just received. Are you with me in that, guys? It's a huge, huge blessing. He doesn't stop there, though. Go to verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, it's the same Greek word, comfort, so our comfort also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation. Did you ever think about that? That the challenges that I'm going in through life, that I'm going through in life right now, could actually be for someone else's consolation? And then it goes a step further than that. It, Paul says that if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation. That literally the hardships that I'm going through right now 
could lead to somebody else's salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it's for your consolation again and salvation. He says it twice. And our hope for you is steadfast. Why? Because we know that as you're partaker of the sufferings, so you also will partake of the consolation. Now, only somebody who has seen God faithful in their sufferings can say something with that boldness, right? My hope for you is steadfast because I know God's going to comfort you in this hardship you're going through, Bob. And you know why? Because when I was going through that same hardship a month and a half ago, something very similar, God was faithful to me. And I believe he'll be faithful to you too. So one of the ways that we can find purpose and pain is realizing that the difficulties that come into our lives can actually end up helping other people on the other side. And that God will show himself faithful to you in the midst of your difficulties. Ten times the word comfort is used in these passages. And again, it's so encouraging to me that when we go through tribulation, distress, trials, and heartbreak, that there's a God of comfort available to us who's able to redeem this pain and allow it to be used to comfort somebody else in their pain, which also implies that God sees in you the ability to make it through this trial. Maybe you don't think you can make it, but God believes that you can, and that he also believes in your ability to use the purpose and the healing you find through this circumstance to bless and help somebody else, if you allow it to, right? And it can even be used as their means of salvation. And when I read these texts, man, it was just so helpful to just get a bigger picture of what God sees, right? When a trial comes into my life, when a challenge comes into my life, God doesn't see what you and I see. This is hard. I don't know if I'm ever going to get through it. What God sees is an opportunity. That there's an opportunity for God to show himself faithful to you when you need him the most. And there's an opportunity for God to use his faithfulness in your life to comfort somebody else who goes through something challenging. Because remember, it's not just for you, the difficulties that we endure in this life. Then we go into chapter 2. And beginning in verse 3, Paul says, And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those for whom I ought to have joy. But having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Then he says, for out of much affliction and anguish, and much trial, right? Um, looking at the translator notes here for verse 4. And um, here we go, chapter 2, verse 4. Tribulation. It's that same word used in John chapter 16. So in for out of much tribulation and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. This wasn't easy for him. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love for which I have so abundantly for you. So I wrote some hard and difficult stuff to you so that I could communicate my love for you. And this is another step I want to address here, another thing I want to address. We've covered how God comforts us in our pain and brings purpose through these circumstances. But there's also pain that we're going to go through, and that's just from acts of what are seemingly, you know, acts of misfortune or trauma or difficulty or trial. But there's also pain that you and I go through in receiving discipline, right? We go through difficulties when we're disciplined. And Paul says this, I wrote these things to you. I had to discipline you as a church, and it wasn't easy, right? I, I cried over this. It was very hard for me. It, was, it brought anguish to me, right? But I did it because I wanted you to know how much I loved you. And I think we need to understand this as well, that when God has to discipline us and bring us through the painful process of discipline, we need to understand that God is doing that to show his love for us, not his disapproval, right? Sometimes that we think that when we get disciplined, that's God saying, I don't like you, right? That God's upset with me. That's not what's happening. God is refining us. God is showing his love for us and his desire for us to not remain in the circumstances that we currently are in. But he begins in verse five. After this, he says, if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. Now, the context of this is in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he loses some pretty scandalous stuff happening in Corinth. He says, it's reported to me that there's sexual immorality among you that isn't even reported among the Gentiles, right? A man has his own father's wife. You do the math. It's really bad, right? At best, it's the guy's stepmom. At worst, it's his biological mother. And he says, a man has his own father's wife, and he's telling them, you need to deal with this. You need to administer church discipline. So they did that. They disfellowshipped the guy. And Paul now is following up on this, and this is what he says. Verse 6, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive, and then does it say, comfort him. 
lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. So he's saying, yeah, you had to give discipline to this guy. You had to do that, but don't overwhelm him, right? Help him to see that what has happened is wrong, but don't push him to a point of absolute despondency, okay? You need to comfort him even. Verse eight, therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you're obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Then he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So heavy-handed discipline, going too far, can be a device of Satan, for one. Uh, Paul's alluding to here. Right, and that we need to make sure that we we offer forgiveness and grace to somebody. We need to administer discipline, but we also need to make sure that it's clear that we're not pushing them to the point of complete despondency. And they think that they can never be saved, right, or that God doesn't want anything to do with them. Because if the church, the body of Christ, is having to administer discipline, they're speaking on behalf of God. But if the church handles so heavy-handedly that this person thinks there's no chance for them to come back to God because the church doesn't want anything to do with me, then God doesn't want anything to do with me. It can lead to the opposite result of what you're wanting. The purpose of discipline is to correct, it's to instruct, to help people see something isn't okay, to bring them back into harmony with where they should be, okay? So there can be pain that we experience in discipline, but God is quick to ensure that we see the purpose for it and that we find comfort in his forgiveness as well. Hebrews 12 tells us that if we endure chastening, then that means that God deals with us as with sons for our profit and that we may be partakers of his holiness right? So he allows us to be disciplined because he loves us as a father, and to allow us to partake of his holiness. And now no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, right? So the pain of discipline can lead to fruit in righteousness and holiness and, and to redemption uh, at the end. So it's an important lesson for us to learn you know, with this whole discipline thing. So pick up now in chapter 6 and uh, verse 11 as a preface, and then we're going to go into chapter 7, verse 2 to 13. We're still in 2 Corinthians, same letter. So chapter 6 and verse 11, first of all, it says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. And now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Right? Don't close yourselves off because I've had to deal with you firmly, okay? And, and you succeeded. You did discipline this guy. You did the right thing. Don't go too far with him. You did the right thing. You did what you needed to do, but don't close yourselves off to me, okay? Be open. And the same idea gets picked up in chapter 7, verse 2, same thought process. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Verse 3 of chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians. I do not say this to condemn, for I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. And great is my boldness of speech towards you. Um, great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort, and I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Again, he's picking up on this theme from chapter one, okay? That I'm filled with comfort, and I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Well, why? Because he knows that our tribulation will be for somebody else's benefit, right? God sees that, he, that he's going to, God allowed for this because he knows he can see us through the challenge, first of all. He's going to prove himself faithful in our lives in the midst of that challenge, second of all. And third of all, that God will allow the story that he writes through his faithfulness in our trial to bless somebody else and help somebody else. So now I don't look at trials the same way. Now I don't look at my circumstances that are painful in life the same way because I recognize, you know, God, the only reason why this would be on my doorstep is if you're, if you're holding my hand through every step of this and if you're going to be faithful to me and that you're not going to allow the comfort you give me in this trial to remain with me. You're going to use it to help somebody else and even save somebody else, right? That's the promise that we've been given. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse five, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Right? Paul dealt with fear. Nevertheless, God, and what does God do? Who comforts the downcast, comforted us. He's picking up again on the theme from chapter one. 
God who comforts the downcast, he's in the business of that, guys. He's the God of comfort. So if you're going through hardship and trials right now, sprint to the feet of Jesus. Sprint to your loving Heavenly Father and allow him to comfort you. Plead with him to comfort you. Your word says that you're the God of comfort. Well, I'll tell you what, I need it. I need a bunch of it right now, right? As much as you're willing to give, right? The God who comforts a downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. And when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, not only for a little while, though only for a while, and now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, right? When you recognize that what you had done was wrong, when you received that correction, it led you to repentance. And he's going to pick up on this idea. He keeps going. He says in verse 10, uh, or sorry, it led you to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, or as the King James says, not to be repented of, because there is a repentance that needs to be repented of, right? That's that worldly sorrow that leads to death, he says here in the next sentence, but the sorrow of the world produces death, right? If you're just sorry because you're going to get a whooping, that's not real sorrow, right? That's not real repentance, but if you truly sorrow for the sins that you have committed, that's totally different, right? And that true sorrow leads to real repentance, right, which leads to salvation, Verse 11, for observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, and what diligence, uh, yeah, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of the him who suffered wrong but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Again, he's making this point. I did this so that you would know how much I love and care for you, which tells me that when God has to discipline me, when God has to discipline you, he's doing it to communicate his love to you. Then it says in verse 13, therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. Right? This is exactly what Paul said in chapter one, that other people can find comfort in the comfort that you receive. Paul brings it full circle. If I go through a hardship, it's for your benefit. Then he says that hardship that you went through ends up comforting me because I was scared that I went too far in my discipline. I wondered, like, is this going to push them away? Will I lose them? But then lo and behold, here they are, right? You did stay. You, you responded to the correction. You gave godly sorrow and repentance, and it comforts me to know that when I follow God's will and agonize, I went through my own trial in communicating these things to you. God proved faithful right? And rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all, okay? So some good lessons there. You can keep walking through 2 Corinthians and find some more principles, but I thought it was really, really helpful for me to recognize that one of the ways in which we go through trial and, 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 and through the problem of pain in this world, right, and just wrestling with pain in this world, some of that pain is discipline. Uh, some of that pain is just because we live in a sinful world, and it's just difficult, right? I'm not saying that, you know, a trial that you're going through right now is because God is disciplining you. I can't speak to that. But what I am saying is discipline is painful. And what I can also say is even in those other circumstances that we go through that aren't discipline related, in both circumstances, God is there to comfort us. God is there to help us, to grow us, to transform us. And, and to help see us through it. And the lessons that we learn in those dark moments will be used to help other people if we allow them to, right? So that comfort that you receive won't just stay with you, right? God gave you that comfort, not just for you. And it's easy when you've gone through a long, hard season to just want to lay down and enjoy that comfort for a while. But make sure you don't forget about the fact that God did not give you that comfort just for you. He's giving you a testimony that's going to comfort many more people in the years to come. Now, there's a principle uh, that we see here in the Old Testament um, that I want to go through after I go through one example of Jesus helping somebody in their painful experience. I think these things are really, really helpful. So go to Luke chapter 7. There's a bunch of examples I could use with Jesus. I just don't have time. 
Um, but I would encourage you to read through the Gospels and just look at how Jesus dealt with people who were going through painful and challenging experiences. Um, because the way that Jesus dealt with them is a way that Jesus and the Father deal with you. Jesus tells the disciples in John chapter 14 or 16, I think, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So if you want to know how the Father views you in your painful experiences, look at how Jesus helped people in their painful experiences. It's such an encouraging, heartwarming study. Go to John chapter 7, beginning of verse 11. It says this, Now it happened the day after that he went to a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Right, he's got this side statement, right? The kid just died, right? Her kid just died, and it's her only child, okay? He was the only son, uh, the only one to carry on, you know, and take care of her and provide for her. He's gone, but it gets even worse. Oh, yeah, by the way, she's also a widow. So every social support this woman would be clinging to in her latter years is now gone. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of insecurity in this moment, let alone grief, right? She's already lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son. It's a super hard experience for her. And a large crowd from the city was with her. But then it says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, right? Jesus, when he saw her, had compassion, right? He felt the pain that this woman felt, had compassion on her. And then he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother, okay? And uh, it says, then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. But I love this, because in this circumstance, Jesus sees the pain, right? He observes the pain that this woman is going through. He's moved with compassion. He feels her pain. He doesn't just observe it. He enters into that pain, but then he does something about her pain right? He intervenes and does something about it. The God of comfort came into Nain on that day and ministers to this woman in her greatest time of need. I'm so thankful for that. This practical lesson that Jesus sees her pain, he feels her pain, and then he does something about her pain. This is the way that the Godhead does life, ever living to minister to people, to comfort them, to help them, and strengthen them through the pain and the difficulties of life. But I want to look at a story now in the Old Testament that I think is just rich uh, with lessons on this very topic of finding purpose in pain, okay? Go with me to the book of Ruth. Go with me to the book of Ruth. And I'm going to have to kind of summarize for time's sake, but man, is there some gorgeous and, and some honest uh, theology and beautiful stuff here for us. So. We get to chapter one, and there's a woman named Naomi whose husband has died, and now her two sons have died. She had left Israel, she'd left Judah, right? She goes in the land of Moab into a foreign land, and she loses her two boys, and she loses her husband. And it's a devastating season for her. I mean, I can't even fathom, right? We just read something similar in Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. But she goes through this horrible, heartbreaking circumstance. She's devastated. And she prays. She basically tells her daughter-in-law, like, look, just move on, okay? I'm no good to you. And God's cursed me. I'm no good to you. Just, just go on, and, and maybe God will bless you. Uh, it's really kind of heartbreaking the way that she, she kind of addresses this. But she says in verse 8, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the, Lord, and the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So even though she feels that the Lord has not dealt kindly with herself, she's praying that the Lord will deal kindly with them, okay? Nothing good could ever happen to her, right? So verse 9, uh, we read, read verse 8 and 9. So nothing good could ever happen to her. She doesn't feel like she even has hope anymore in, in verse 12. She says, turn back, my daughters go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, because I don't, 
if I should have a husband tonight and should bear, also bear sons, would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you not restrain yourselves from having husbands? Okay, so she's telling them, turn back, turn back, go away. I don't have anything to offer you. Okay, and then she closes out verse 13 by saying, because the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. God is against me. And man, it is so easy in the unforeseen challenges and heartbreaks and traumatic experiences of our life to think that God is against me, right? What, what if God leads you into circumstances that you think you're going to go one way and they don't go the way you thought they should? And it's devastating. You just think, man, right? Just th This speaks into the human experience. This isn't one of those cute, you know, pretty, you know, practical lessons that we see like this is this is the raw stuff we see in the god in the book of ruth right some really raw circumstances here the hand of the lord has gone out against me right she doesn't water down her personal feelings at that point in time but her daughter-in-law won't leave her okay ruth won't leave her and so she says your god will be my god right she says this go in verse 14 then they lifted their voices and wept again orpah kissed her mother-in-law but ruth clung to her and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You go after her. But Ruth says in verse 16, entreat me not to leave you, right? I don't want to go. Urge me not or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now, what's so significant about this is the fact that she's saying, I want your God to be my God. But what did Naomi just say about her God? He's against me. He's the one that's taking action against me. She's struggling in her faith right now. And yet Ruth is saying, I want your God to be my God. Where I die, where you die, I'll die. I'll be buried with you. The Lord you so to me more also of anything but death departs us. And so when she saw that she wouldn't stop, then she stopped speaking to her. Okay? She stopped trying to tell her to change course. So they go back to Judah. And it's interesting. They get to Bethlehem. And they say, is this not Naomi? But then in verse 20, Naomi says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Okay, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Again, pleasant, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Right? I've heard people say and kind of allude to this idea that you know, that Ruth uh, is, you know, won by Naomi, but I, that's not the narrative that I see here, right? The witness that Naomi is giving right now is not a good one, right? If, if someone said, hey, God is against me, God, you know, I, I left my home full, but God has brought me home empty, God is afflicting me, the Almighty has afflicted me, by the way, you want to come to church with me next Sabbath, like, I, I think the answer is probably going to be no, but God speaks in the circumstance, and what I'm looking to see here, what I, I, I seem to recognize from this narrative, is it's not so much that Naomi wins Ruth, right, this Moabite woman, is that the Spirit of God reaches Ruth, and God uses Ruth to comfort and minister to Naomi, and to strengthen Naomi's faith, and to rekindle her faith, right? The Spirit of God actually works in the opposite direction, is what I see in this narrative. So they return, she gets back there to the barley harvest. And the name Ruth, by the way, actually means companion or friend. So she's saying, I'm not going to leave you alone. We will follow God together. And God ends up using Ruth mightily to inspire Naomi's weak and faltering faith as the story goes on. So she returns to her own land. We dealt with that. Um, but then she says, when word gets to Boaz, and Ruth can't understand why he's favoring her, he replies, it's been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And I think this is powerful because she chose to focus on another need in her own pain and grief. And there is power in this, guys. When we get, you know, sacked by challenges and difficulties and we don't know what to do, to take time to focus on the needs of other people who are grieving in similar fashions can help us get through those difficulties. And that's what happens with Ruth. And so she chooses to help her, and that is a witness. So the comfort that God gives Ruth in her difficulty of widowhood and having lost a father-in-law, whenever that happened, and a brother-in-law, that grief, the comfort that God gives her, ends up being a testimony to the community that she moves to. And how you've left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and you've come to a people whom you did not know before. 
verse 12, it says, the Lord repay your work, okay? The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And I love this because the idea is you took a leap of faith in leading where you were to come back to this country. Ruth had never been here, but Naomi did. But the point is you came to the Lord for refuge and the God of comfort was faithful. I'm the answer to that prayer. God is going to use me to bless and provide for you. And that's what happens. And news of this sparks hope in Naomi's experience in chapter 2 and verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And this is where this narrative takes a turn. This is where Naomi's faith starts to be rekindled because she sees the goodness of God through this circumstance and realizes, wait a minute, maybe God hasn't been against me. I was struggling. I was in a dark place, but because somebody else going through a similar circumstance to me kept it moving, right? Because they, they moved forward in faith and in courage and God blessed them. This is now showing me, hey, maybe God can bless me too. This is why how we handle our trials and difficulties is so important because other people are watching. Right? When you lose somebody, when you lose your job, when you lose your health, people are watching. And I'm not saying get your act together because you need to be a good witness while you're hurting. That's not what we're saying here. The point is the way in which we handle the difficulties that we encounter in this life, the painful seasons of life, people see that. right? And it can actually lead them to wanting to know what it is that saw you through this circumstance whenever I would have collapsed under the weight that you're dealing with. And so when God brings Ruth a child later in this book, it's actually referred to as Naomi's child, okay? It's referred to as Naomi's child. It says, oh, now Naomi has had a child. It says this in verse, um, in verse 17. Also, this is chapter 4 and verse 17. Also, the neighbor women came and gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed, Okay which means servant, okay? This is the interesting thing. Through this whole challenge and difficulty, the child that is brought forth through this union, through God's faithful provision, through Boaz and Boaz and Ruth coming together, God working through that whole story in a powerful way, in a beautiful way, writing a love story. There's virtuous people on both sides, a virtuous man, a virtuous woman, all of this beautiful narrative on relationships. But what happens is once this child is born forth, it's a servant, right? What came out of a trial was service for God, right? And the actual child that came through this actual circumstance ends up being the lineage of the very Messiah who will save the world, right? So God was able to take something that was painful, that was challenging, that was difficult. He turned it into something that was beautiful, that was inspiring, right? The very comfort that God gave Ruth and Naomi is bringing comfort to people for thousands of years, right? The very thing Paul was talking about this book is doing for so many people, for me and for other people who study this book, because they've realized, man, if God was faithful to them and brought good out of their challenges, they found purpose in the pain that they went through, then maybe God can bring something good out of my circumstance as well, right? It leads to the, the genealogy of Christ, the greatest of comforters. And what's you know birthed through this circumstance is a servant, a servant of the Lord, okay? So when we're hurting and losing faith, it's just like God to send us people to remind us where we came from and where our home truly is. And I'm so thankful for this, right? That when we have those moments where our faith falters and we're not who we thought we would be, we're actually going to talk about that tomorrow uh, afternoon uh, in a message called, um, I already forgot what it's called. Anyway, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I'm trying to, to think through the sermon. But anyway, it's, um, I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the message. But um, I think it was called, I think it's called If 2021, um, maybe if 2020 just, just handed you your rear end, if you just had a horrible experience, that God's still able to work through these circumstances and find good things. But maybe you found yourself not being who you wish you would be. Maybe your faith faltered in the midst of your challenges. The good news is God can see us through that. God can help us through it and bring good out of it. And that the comfort that we receive in those circumstances isn't just for us. It can comfort other people and can even lead to their salvation. Okay, and you can do that for people. You could be that Ruth to somebody who's hurting right now, right? God may have placed a Ruth in your life right now and appreciate and value that because we all need that. 
Go back to 2 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Right? And I love this point that Paul's making here. Again, same book that we were talking about earlier, 2 Corinthians. But this idea is, what you're going through right now is temporary. Right? There will be an end to that. But there are eternal things that are achieved through these circumstances, right? That our affliction, which is but for a moment, is working out for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory, right? God is able to take these things and grow us. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can look back upon some of the darkest chapters of our experience and realize, you know what? Man, I went through some pretty gnarly seasons of life. But looking back, who I became through that process eclipses however painful the circumstance itself was, right? Again, it's this John 16 theme, the idea that you're going to forget the pain that you went through for joy over what you received or who you became as a result of those circumstances. And God knew that. And a friend of mine has a testimony on this. They posted something on social media a while back, and I, uh, I asked for their permission to share this because I thought it was so relevant to what we're talking about today because there's some other, other few little points I want to bring out. They said this, honestly, I needed a good beating. Then they say, stay with me. I never thought I'd look back in the last few years and be thankful for them, right? Some of us may say that about 2020. I never thought I could look back and actually be thankful for 2020. I never thought I'd be grateful for the beating of life. I've always wanted to escape pain, as every human does. And I think like many conscientious people, I immediately equated pain or hardship in life to God's disapproval of me. And there is so much truth to that. That is raw, but it's real. Right? Many times when we go through trials, the immediate thought is, God's not happy with me. I did something wrong. And that may not be the case at all. And his displeasure or his punishment for not being, well, perfect, I guess. I, I guess this is why I have to go through this, because I'm not perfect or something. But looking back, I realized that it wasn't punishment at all. It wasn't his displeasure. And truly, it really wasn't hardship. It was life. And it was life with God. And life with God means, yes, ups and downs, but it also means that he takes those downs and he flings them so high that the normal ups are nothing compared to this. And the downs now give context to the ups, and you learn to thank God for both, right? Those trials help us to bring context to life. I've learned that it's best to not try and escape pain, but to embrace it, right? To lean into it, to learn what this pain is teaching me in this moment. To not push it away, but to pull it into your very heart and soul and to face it nobly and with courage. And to learn that in a sinful world, pain becomes an unwanted and yet accepted companion. And so instead of running away, I open my arms to the one true companion of this life, pain. And it kind of reminds me of uh, A.T. Jones. In his 1893 General Conference sermons, he has this message where he alludes to this idea that we're going to look at the trials of our lives and refer to them as old friends because they always brought us back to Jesus, right? Those challenges, those trials, those difficulties led us to Jesus, our forever friend, right? Who helped, who was our comforter, who saw us through all these circumstances, okay? There were those kind of reminders of our need of that companion through life of Jesus, and so they, they continue. They say, and I embrace the pain of who I am with all the disappointments because it fuels me to become better. I embrace the pain of heartbreak because it leaves a void that God is eager to fill. I embrace the pain of failure because it's a stepping stone to success. I embrace the pain of loss because it keeps my eyes off of this earth. And I embrace the pain of discipline because it enables me to give up what I want now to have what I want most. I'm not there yet, they say, but I hope one day this unwanted companion called pain will become to me a welcome companion and even a gift. The gift that was so necessary to give a sinful world when love was vanquished from our hearts. I hope one day to see pain for what it really is, the path to joy, the path to purpose, and yes, even the path to truly knowing God. Many times we don't realize how much we need him until he's all that we have. We don't realize how much we need him until nothing in this world is meeting that need but him. 
And so pain has been one of those things that is that, that thorn in the flesh that Paul alludes to, right? That no matter how he pleads, it doesn't go away, but it points us to God. And God told him in that circumstance, he says, you know, that, that I, I will comfort you in your weaknesses, right? I'm able to help you through your challenges and through your difficulties. That my strength is made perfect in your weakness, God told him in that circumstance. And I've had to go through my own story of this, um, where I've had to come face to face with the fact that I have spent a large portion of my life, nearly 30 years of my life, running from pain, right? I've alluded to this in, in other presentations I've done before, where my mom went through a really horrible experience. The guy she married after my dad beat her up really bad, and I wasn't there when it happened, but I saw her soon afterwards, and it just filled me with fear. And, and for, for a good chunk of my life from that point forward, I found myself not wanting to do anything that seemed unsafe, right? I don't, I don't want to be on roller coasters. I don't want to play, you know, super dangerous looking sports. I'm not looking to go, you know, uh, you know, snowboard down a black diamond slope. Like there's just certain things that I wrestle with because of that early, you know, kind of foundational experience in my childhood. And so my, my default response has been to avoid anything that looks painful, right? To try to not get near those types of circumstances. But the problem is when you spend your life avoiding pain, you never sit still long enough to face it and to learn the lessons that your pain is going to teach you, right? And to learn how faithful God can be for you in the midst of that pain. And so I left a lot of blessings on the table by running from those painful experiences. And my therapist told me one day, this line that was just so, so helpful for me. He said, the only way to deal with pain is to feel it. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here. What he's not saying is to go back and relive all the excruciating, difficult, you know, experiences we've gone through in life. That's not what we're saying here. But the point is, I had to go through a process of facing, right? I mean, I, I went through a difficult, during the lockdown, I was going for these long prayer walks every morning with my dog for like four miles every day and just kind of walking through a lot of different stuff, relearning my own story, and to acknowledge the things that happened in my life, that this happened, not the gory details, but this happened, this wasn't okay, and to let myself grieve, right, and, and, and feel that, and just understand that that wasn't okay, and it's okay to feel that that wasn't okay, to let myself feel and deal, right, and I had to go through a season of that that was pretty gnarly, um, but God was so helpful for me to finally be able to grieve and close that chapter of my experience, right? Because the problem is if you are running from your pain, the problem is it catches up with you at the most inopportune times. You find yourself in a relationship and something happens in that relationship that triggers you and you turn into somebody you never thought you would be. Maybe you turned into the very thing that you hated the most by those people who caused you pain in your early years, Right? We find ourselves reliving the very, because we never dealt with it. We never addressed it. And we never found any closure from those circumstances. So I had to go through that. And I did, I did this, right, under the guidance and, you know, kind of the, the structure within therapy. So it was helpful for me. Um, but it's just, it's something that really helped me to kind of process and work through it. And I'm learning to embrace pain and, and to listen to the story that my pain is telling me, right? Learning the lessons I need to learn, then I can move on and not run from it any further. It's been so helpful for me. And it's interesting because it says in Hebrews 5 and verse 8 that Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. There were things that Jesus learned about how to be a child of God through the suffering that he endured on this earth. There are lessons that we learn through our painful experiences, right? That's how we can find purpose in pain uh, is, is through this process. And this reminds me of the quote from Desire of Ages, a commentary on the life of Christ. Speaking of the death of John the Baptist, I believe, if not, it's talking about the death of Lazarus. Um, but it says, to all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God, the moment of greatest discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. And man, do I take consolation in that, right? That when we're reaching out for the guiding hand of God, those moments of greatest discouragement are actually the times when divine help is nearest, those times when God feels the farthest from us than he has ever been in our pain and our difficulties. God is actually the closest that he's ever been. And we're told from every temptation and every trial, he will bring them forth with firmer faith and a richer experience by going through the pain, not by avoiding the pain. 
And then it says that they will look back with thankfulness upon the darkest hour of their way. And you think, how could that even be possible? How could I possibly look back upon that chapter of my life with thankfulness? Well, when we give our pain to God and let him redeem it for those purposes and let him bring comfort and healing into those areas of our lives, those dark moments don't have to define us anymore. They can mold and shape us into people who can be tremendous forces for good in this world that is filled with suffering. Because if you've seen hell face to face, right, if you've looked the devil eye to eye in the painful experiences of this life and all the hardship that he's thrown at you, then you're the very type of person who would deal with somebody and their painful experiences with grace. Who would listen with a form of understanding, right? And with compassion because you've been there. Maybe not exactly where they are, but you've been in circumstances of trial and difficulty that molds us into a person of compassion and understanding. And also we're a person who now has a testimony that God was faithful to me in my challenges and my difficulties. And I, I am fully convinced my hope for you is steadfast that though you're going through the same trials I went through earlier, God will comfort you just like he comforted me, right? Those, is it actually possible? Could it be that those dark, challenging experiences of, uh, that we went through were preparing us to be missionaries in that very field that hurt us? That is, as I interact with people who've, who've dealt with, you know, violent homes growing up or abusive circumstances, that my story can bring comfort and consolation to them. That my pain, God's faithfulness and my pain can speak life and healing into their experience. That's exactly what's being said here, right? That God uses our dark circumstances as a gold mine of grace to help other people. You know, King David in Psalm 35 says that when God delivered him from his adversity, that he would testify of God's goodness before the assembly. And I think that this is one of the reasons why the righteous are permitted to suffer, right? Because other people are watching. You think about Daniel, when he gets thrown in the lion's den, there's other people watching, right? When, when they make a decree, is he going to pray or is he not going to pray? You see the circumstance in Daniel 2, right? Whenever their lives are on the line and he chooses to go pray with his friends and testify to the faithfulness of God when he prayed and all these powerful answers he got, or Joseph, whenever he was blessed in prison, like people in the midst of their adversity, when God sees them through that, right? It brings great glory to him because the character of God, the faithfulness of God shone through their dark chapters to illumine the dark pathway of somebody else's dark chapter. God can do that for us, right? So the, the righteous will bring glory to God through their trials and the victory that God affords when the wicked aren't going to do that. But um, so I, I hope that through this study, we're, we're, we're seeing here that God is able to redeem our pain, right? To refashion it. And again, the only way to deal with pain is to feel it, to not run from it, but to feel and deal, to let yourself process and work through it. Don't you have to go through the gory details, right? That wouldn't be a healthy thing to do, but to acknowledge the fact that this happened and it wasn't okay. This hurt. And to allow yourself to feel that and to grieve that now allows us to close those chapters and move on and, and to have God speak life into us and comfort us and console us and have compassion on us in our painful moments. That very comfort that God gives us can be used to comfort other people in their trials. And the steadfast faithfulness of God in that circumstance is our testimony to somebody else in theirs. This reminds me of the lyrics of a song. Uh, I prefer the acoustic version of this, but it's from a guy named Jason Gray. Um, I think it's called Why You Brought Me Here. But he says, I know I'd get an answer that I can't understand if I asked that your intentions be made clear. He's speaking to God. And I know your plans are greater. And in that greater plan, why the reasons why you brought me here? This story would be different if it were only mine to write. There are secrets I would never volunteer, but secrets lose their power when they have no place to hide. Maybe that's why you brought me here. Ooh, all I see are the ruins. Yeah, as the smoke starts to clear. Ooh, I hope you know what you're doing because you brought me here, right? We can get to these scary moments where, where God may be working in our lives and we find ourselves following where we believe that God was leading us, and it didn't lead to a place of, of triumph, right? You think of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God calls him to a land he's never been to before, and when he gets to that land, there's famine there. That's painful. That's challenging. 
And you just, you have those moments where you think, God, I sure hope you know what you're doing. Maybe God called you to school and you got to school and you realize this is way worse than I ever imagined. I did great in undergrad, but man, this place is rough. How am I going to survive this? God, I sure hope you know what you're doing because you led me to Loma Linda, but I don't know how I'm going to survive this first year, right? Whatever you're going through, right? Jason kind of speaks into that circumstance. But in this circumstance, he says, you know, it's a mess of my own making and this I won't deny. And though the consequences shake my heart with fear, if I was happy with the way that things were going, I'd give more of a fight. I guess I'm happy that you brought me here. Ooh, all I see are the ruins. Yeah, as the smoke starts to clear. Ooh, I hope you know what you're doing because you brought me here. And if it's hard to raise the white flag, it's even harder to believe that surrendering is worth the sacrifice. And the very things I always feared would be the death of me was a way to come alive. Man, I've had those circumstances that the very thing I thought, God, please, oh, please don't let X happen to me. If that happens, that'll be a death of me. And sometimes God has to bring it to those moments to realize it's not going to be the death of you. Um, and that God's glory shines brightest in those disappointments, in those trials and difficulties. But he closes by saying, now it hurts to be this broken, but it's bearable somehow, as the chance to prove I'm worthy disappears. I always heard you love me, but I think I know it now. Is that the reason you brought me here? I guess I'm grateful that you brought me here. Now, again, we can't say that every trial that comes into our life is something that God prescribed for our lives, but certainly it is a circumstance that God had to allow for. And if we're in a circumstance that we don't understand and it hurts and it's difficult and we don't quite understand what he's doing, here's what we can know. There's a faithful God in heaven who hasn't left me alone in this moment. And if God believes in my ability to make it through this circumstance, because he would never allow me to be somewhere where I would fall on my face and completely destroy my life and that nothing good could come from it, if that's not going to happen. Then I have to trust and believe that God's going to hold my hand through this, that God will be faithful to me, that God will comfort me in this circumstance. And though it may be scary and I've got to face some of those things I never wanted to face, though there's parts of me I never wanted to deal with that are coming out in these painful experiences, if I come to Jesus and let him have this painful chapter of my life, he can bring good out of it. That's what scriptures promised us. And that when we get to the other side of this, we'll forget all the gory details. We'll forget all the painful experiences that brought us to that point. And we'll just be thankful for who we became. We'll be thankful for what God taught us. And we'll be thankful for the fact that we received him, right? That it was him that I was looking for all along. He's what I've been looking for. And I take great consolation in this because I've dealt with some stuff in 2020. I don't know about you, and I've had to scratch my head and just wonder, God, how do we deal with this? God, this is not what I expected when you led me in this direction, and I don't know what to do. The good news is he knows what to do, and he's willing to walk through it every step of the way with us, and that he can give us comfort in those moments. And the comfort he gives us isn't just for us. The comfort that God gave me through some dark chapters this last year were not just reserved for me. Those lessons I learned, the faithfulness of God in those dark chapters is for other people's benefit. And it could even be for their salvation. And uh, I hope you take consolation of that tonight because it's helped me a lot to recognize that um, if God allowed for me to come here, then he's going to get glory out of it. And we see that um, throughout scripture. And I'm so thankful that the story of Ruth and Naomi is there because uh, it speaks into the real raw emotions that happen in those moments. Where is God? It seems like God's against me right now. But through the faithfulness of others around us, our faith can be rekindled. And through God's faithfulness to us, even though we're not maybe thinking the most healthy thoughts about him in that moment, again, that can rekindle us and help us get through. And I'm so thankful. Who I am now is not who I was January 1, 2020. And I'm thankful for that. I had no idea it would look like this. But what I can say is God has been good to me. Who I became through the course of 2020 is a man that I'm thankful for now. And is a man who's better prepared for the future chapters that God's writing in my story. And I believe the same is the case for all of us. So wherever 2020 brought you, um, and if 2021 <laughs> in your experience, um, 
God's not dead. God is able to mold these things for good, and God is able to bring purpose even in those challenging circumstances. And I pray you take consolation in that. So my appeal to you this evening is to, to take an earnest time this evening to pray and ask God to help you to see how he was faithful to you through these dark and challenging experiences of 2020, and to recognize his faithful hand, his blessings, the peace that he gave, the courage that he gave, provision that you received that maybe people around you didn't receive, um, and to ask him to give you clarity. God, I'm hurting right now, but I, I need to know that you're here, and I need that comfort that you're willing to give. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 4 and 7 and onward, God, would you comfort me? And God, I'm pledging, before I even know what that comfort's going to look like, I'm pledging tonight that the comfort that you give to me is not just going to be for me. God, I will allow that comfort you give me to be a blessing to other people. As King David said, I will stand before the assembly and testify that I had a need and God faithfully provided for me, and he'll do the same thing for you. God, would you use us as missionaries in this way? Would you allow us, as Paul said, to glory over our tribulations? Not to be sadists, <laughs> but certainly to recognize that if God's going to allow me to be in this circumstance, then he must see that there's a lot of glory that's going to come out of it. And that God could even use my story and his faithfulness and my story in this dark moment to save souls, to comfort other people. And it even brings me more comfort to see the comfort that he gave me comforting others. And the cycle continues, that circuit of beneficence. God, we need that. I pray that you would cover our sins. Maybe some of us have found ourselves bitter, uh, like Naomi, that we're bitter right now because of what we've had to go through, and we're hurting. And Lord, I pray that you would bring that pleasantness back into our experience. Lord, that you would speak life to us. I pray that you would bring us a Ruth uh, for those of us who are struggling, to speak life into us. And Lord, we pray for your favor, for your grace, and for your peace to see us through. We love you and we thank you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.